Please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. We come today to the last chapter of Mark's Gospel, and we're last in our series on Mark's account of the Master of Men. The media department has made this up in, the, in terms of the tapes and the package here, and they're available. Mark's account of the Master of Men. You might say, well, why are you preaching on the resurrection on Christmas time? Don't you know that you've got uh, this backwards? Well, not really. Had there been no resurrection, believe me, there'd be no Christmas. We wouldn't be celebrating Christmas. We wouldn't be Christians. The whole thing would have ceased with the death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. God played chess with the devil, someone's written, and the devil was ahead until God became one of the pieces. Check, said the devil, at Golgotha. Three days later, God said, checkmate. As we approach this chapter, we need to realize that Verses from after verse 8, verses 9 through 20, are not in the oldest manuscripts of the Bible. Which means that they were not a part of the Bible originally. Somehow they got added. Uh, Verse 8 is an awkward ending. And so probably the last part of Mark's gospel somehow got misplaced. And... uh, Someone later wrote a summary of the events that occurred after that, and uh, it got added to Mark's Gospel. But but since it wasn't a part of the original, it shouldn't be used authoritatively, and so our sermon today will cease at verse 8. We have here first the mission of the women, and uh, as they go to anoint the body, In verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. It was very important for Jews that a body be buried properly uh, in the events of Friday night when uh, Joseph of Arimathea begs the body of Christ from Pilate. uh, It wasn't done properly, and these women concerned have had to wait through the Sabbath day, and now... On Sunday, they go to do this. Early in the morning, verse 2, very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Now, these women had tasted the Lord's mercies. They're very grateful. They're very sad, but yet they love him, and they want to do this, this act. But as they journey, they have a question that troubles them. Verse 3. They said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? A huge stone had been rolled against Joseph of Arimathea's tomb there, which was a cave. And they felt they could not roll it away. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. For it was very great. How did that happen? Well, Matthew tells us in his gospel that prior to this, earlier than this, Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, stepped forward, rolled away the stone, and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. 
uh, the keepers, the guards that had been assigned to guard the grave uh, by uh, the priest. Uh, they fainted. They, they uh, fainted and then fled for fear. This angel is no longer sitting on the stone, but is inside when they arrive. You have the annunciation by the angel in verse 5. Entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. Actually, Luke tells us there were two angels. Mark traces the one who speaks to the women. And here's his announcement. He saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. What an amazing announcement. He is risen. That's one word in the Greek. That's the greatest announcement that the world has ever heard. He is risen. If that announcement is true, what are the implications? They're gigantic. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he was who he claimed to be. He was God. He said, I and my Father are one. He that's seen me, seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. By Him were all things made. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if Jesus rose from the dead, He was who He claimed to be, God, become man. If Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is true. Biblical Christianity, not Christianity in water, not liberalism. But biblical Christianity, with all of its hard sayings and all of its amazing sayings, is true. Uh, God is a trinity, a triune God. Just as it said, He's just as holy as it says, He's just as loving as it says. Uh, Jesus uh, was dying for our sins. He said, The Son of Man came... Not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, the prophet Isaiah, 750 B.C., said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, this coming Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Now, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, meaning our peace with God, was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. There's a parable written by Walter Wangerin called The Ragman. He says, I was downtown early one morning, and in the alley I saw a strange sight. I saw a fine-looking young man, six feet four, arms like limbs. He had a cart he was pushing, very intelligent-looking young man. And he cried, the cart was full of linen and rags, and he said, Rags! Rags! New rags for old! Give me your old rags, I'll give you new ones. So it was such a strange sight, I followed him, and as I went along, there was a woman sitting on the back porch with a handkerchief, weeping into that handkerchief uncontrollably. And he said, Give me your handkerchief, give me your rag, and I'll give you a new one. And she gave it to him, and he gave her clean white linen. She stopped crying and then he took the handkerchief and he put it to his face and he began to weep uncontrollably. And he went along pushing the cart. Rags, rags, new rags for old. It came to a little girl and the little girl had a bandage around her head and she was bleeding. And he said, give me your bandage. And he took it off of her. 
and put it around his own head and gave her a yellow bonnet bright. And she, she was healed. But the wound went with the bandage, and he began bleeding. And he went along. Rags, rags, new rags for old. Give me your old rags, and I'll give you new ones. And there was a man leaning against a telephone pole, and he said, Aren't you going to work? And the man said, Are you kidding? And stood up, and he was missing an arm. And the ragman said, Give me your jacket, and I'll give you mine. And the ragman took off his jacket, and his arm went with his jacket. And he put on the other man's jacket, minus an arm. And the other man now had two arms, and the ragman said, Now go to work. The ragman went along, uh, weeping uncontrollably, bleeding, one arm pushing his cart. Rags, rags, new rags for old. And he came to an old man, an old drunk, lying in the alley, wrapped up in a blanket, sick. And he said, give me your blanket. And the man gave it to him, and he gave him new clothes. He put the blanket around him, and now all of a sudden he was sick. And he was drunk, and he fell down, and he was old. He'd gotten old. And he pushed his cart along rapidly now, and I had to rush to keep up with him. And he, he went out of town to the city dump up a little hill, and there he cleared a space for himself. And he laid down, and he wrapped the, the blanket around him, and he died. And I wept because I'd come to love the ragman. And I sat down to watch, and I fell asleep. And I slept all Friday night and all day Saturday. And Sunday morning, I woke up, the light slammed into my eyes. And I looked, and the ragman was alive, and he was healthy. Only he had a scar remaining. He wasn't bleeding. He, his clothes shone. And I went up to him, and I took my clothes off, and I said, Clothe me, dress me. I need new rags for my old. And he did. He clothed me with a new garment. And I stand beside him now, a wonder, the ragman, the ragman, the Christ. Well, that's the idea that he took all of our guilt and all of our sin upon himself and paid for it and gives us, when we put our faith in him and surrender our will to him, a clean slate. We're forgiven. We're pardoned. We're justified. We're not guilty. We're adopted into the family of God. Jesus said, As many as received him, to them gave he authority to become sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. When we surrender our will to him as our master, put our trust in him, we're adopted. We're no longer orphans. We belong to him. Uh, All of that's true. Scriptural Christianity is true. Jesus taught that the Bible is the Word of God. He taught that the Old Testament is inspired and true. He said, it is written. He said, you do err, not knowing the Scripture. He said, Scripture cannot be broken. Now, if he rose from the dead, then he was God. If he was God, he knew whether the Scripture was true. He said, you can take it from me. It's true. He told his disciples, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And he promised his disciples the same kind of inspiration by the Spirit to produce the New Testament. So, if Jesus rose from the dead, biblical Christianity is true. If Christ rose from the dead, Christians 
have power to live a resurrected life, to live different. We don't have to be controlled by sin. We can overcome selfishness and an unloving attitude and, and all of our differences with each other. We can conquer those things because Christ rose. I can change. I can be different. I can walk in newness of life because Christ rose. If Christ rose from the dead, death is conquered for the Christian. You know, for centuries, death was the great conqueror. You read about Adam and it says, and he died, and then his children, and they died, and then Noah, and he died, and on and on and on. But then this man rose, and he conquered death. And so now with Paul, we can say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Death's been robbed of its sting for all who believe in Jesus Christ. I don't need to fear death. Death will usher me into the presence of Jesus Christ. I'll walk with him by faith. I'll walk with him by sight. To me, to live is Christ, said Paul. To die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said, we know, not we think, we know because Christ rose from the dead. We know that if this body, this tabernacle is dissolved, we have a building not made with hands eternal in the heavens. I know that to leave here is to go there and to be with him. Tremendous. One day Christ will return. And just as his tomb was emptied, my tomb will be emptied. And your tomb will be emptied. This body, which will decay and turn to dust, will be reconstructed and raised. A new glorious body. And the soul brought back with him, rejoined to the body. All that's true if Christ rose from the dead. Ed McDavid in our congregation has written an excellent book, Let God Speak. And Ed sums it up like this. He says, We move now to the apex of the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the heart of Christianity, around which everything else revolves. Without the resurrection, nothing else matters. If Christ was not resurrected, then we have believed a lie, and we have no hope of heaven. Moreover, if what the Bible says about Christ is a lie, then we have no reason to believe in the God of the Bible. We are left with no absolutes. Therefore, there is no real purpose or meaning to life, and no ex expectation of anything good on the other side of death. As only the fear of the unknown, God tells us that if Christ is not risen, then we have believed in vain. But Christ is risen. The greatest announcement which has ever been heard in this world. Notice, the angel goes on to invite investigation. In uh, verse uh, 6, he says, He is risen, he's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Come and look, see for yourself. Christianity always invites investigation. It's backed up with tremendous evidence. That empty tomb, that disappearance of the body, is the answer to every objection that can be raised against Christianity. What happened to the body? You say, well, maybe the Jews stole it. Huh. They would have produced it because they did not want Christianity to be proclaimed. They wanted to bury it. And if they could have produced the body, they would have. If the Romans could have produced the body, they would have. You say, well, maybe the disciples or some friends stole the body. No. These men sealed their testimony with their blood. You don't die for what you know to be a lie. These men wrote 
the highest system of ethics the world has ever seen, and they lived by that system. And if they founded the whole thing on a lie, that was a bigger miracle than the resurrection itself. Come and see. The evidence is there. He gives instruction to the women, verse 7, But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, there you shall see him as he said unto you. Notice the end, Peter. Notwithstanding Peter's denial of him with curses, he says, and Peter. He goeth before you into Galilee. There's to be a grand reunion. The women's reaction, verse 8, they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre. For they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. They also filled with joy, the other gospels tell us. They, they go and they tell the disciples. J. Wilbur Chapman, J. Wilbur Chapman was an evangelist, uh, a compatriot of D.L. Moody's in the last century. He wrote a little book entitled, And Peter. And in it he, he pictures in his mind's eye Peter's situation, Peter feeling so guilty of what he had done. Wilbur surmises didn't mix with the disciples immediately. They were gathered in the upper room and he's he's on the outskirts feeling too guilty that they don't want to be around him. He's denied Christ. And yet he's so lonely he can't stand it. And so finally he makes his way to that room where he knows they'll be. And as he gets there, just as he comes in, the women arrive. And they come with the news. We went to the tomb. It's empty. There's a, a man there said, He's risen. He's not here. He's alive. And, uh, and uh, come see. And, and the disciples all jump up to run out. And, and Peter's not going to go because, after all, I mean, he's no longer even a disciple. He doesn't feel him. He's denied Christ. And, and then Mary repeats it. And she said, And he said, And Peter. And Peter. Maybe you're like Peter. Maybe you've denied the Lord in some form or fashion. But the message to you is, and Mary, and Bill, and Sam, and Frank. That's always the message. If we're backslidden. That he is, he's there, waiting. The story is told of a woman in London whose daughter fell into sin, left home, a friend came by and was talking to her, and she said, Give me every picture you've got of yourself. The woman did, and she took those pictures, and she went around to bars and haunts of sin in the city, and she put the mother's picture there, maybe outside the door, maybe inside somewhere. And underneath she wrote, Come home. And one night, not too long thereafter, the girl was going into a bar, and as she started in, she saw her mother's picture, and she was arrested, and she looked at it, and she started crying, and then she saw, come home. She left her friends, and she went home, and when she got home, the door was unlocked. Her mother embraced her. She said, Mama, the door was unlocked. She said, it hadn't been locked since you left. It's been open. That's God's message to us. Come home. If you have denied Him in some way, you're away from the Lord. The door is not locked. Come home. Well, the implications for us, if we're Christian, the greatest announcement that the world has ever heard still needs to be heard. Like the women were sent, we're sent. We're sent to our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, and around the world to tell this news, to tell it in ways that people can understand the implications of it, to explain 
about Jesus, who He was, what He did. Salvation's a gift. And all you have to do is surrender your will and put your trust in Him. Believe His claim and make that kind of commitment. He is risen. Death has been conquered. Our guilt has been paid for if we'll just make that commitment. We're sent out to make that announcement. And, of course, Christmas time is a great time to spread this again. We need training. If you're not trained in how to do that, take the EE training when we offer it starting in January. Good way to learn how to share your faith. If you are a Christian but you're backslidden, you're away from the Lord, the message is and Mary and Jack and Frank, come home. If you've never made a personal commitment to Christ, you need to do what Walter Rangren did. You need to go up to the ragman and say, dress me. Give me new clothes for my rags. Make me clean. Trust him to do that today. Let us pray. As our hearts abound, uh, is there someone uh, that you need to be announcing the good news to, that you need to specially contact and share with, maybe at the office, maybe in your family? Uh, this Christmas season, is there someone in your family out of Christ? Are you like Peter? You've denied the Lord in some way and you feel so guilty and unworthy. You're ashamed. The message is, come home. Come to Him for cleansing, forgiveness. Start walking fresh with Him. If you've never made that personal commitment, come to Him right now for clothing. Pray like this. Lord Jesus, thank You for offering new clothes for my rags. I give You the rags of my self-righteousness. I come and surrender to You. I trust you to clothe me with your righteousness, to forgive me, to change me, to come and live in me. I ask you and surrender to you right now. Amen.